Let's wrap this podcast up. Academy Award nominee. My wife. My wife. <laughs> God, can you guys believe that my wife was nominated for Academy Award? I mean, I just, I didn't even actually do the deed. You yet, know what man. I just, I, I just realized it must be really obvious whenever we drop two eps, like which one we recorded second. <laughs> it's just like a little bit more loose. Which one sounds a little bit more like, like Stella Artois. Oof, the sponsor for this week. Good old Stella. It's just as good as the Pfizer vaccine. We, it's essentially the same thing. <laughs> Look, here's the thing. People always say you need uh, two shots of uh, the vaccine that you got to space out for a month. Well, how about this? I just drank uh, more than two Stellas during the last recording of the podcast. So, well, yeah, I'm, but ready to get, I'm licking babies all over the place now. It has like a recursive effect thing where if you have three, you actually... I'm more likely to get it. Yeah. And then if you have four, brother, you're cured for life. Oh, sweet. Until you have five. <laughs> oh, no. Welcome to the show. We bought a mic, a pop culture podcast with ketchup. Um, taking a little off episode from our Nick Cage series. So just hang out, just vibe out and uh, catch up on some things. Damn. Little, uh, Oscar nominations and a little things that we've been watching. I'm Ernest. I am one of the eight nominees for Best Picture, Hunter. I didn't. Is this an announcement? I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't realize. I am you, the father. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> I'm the father. <laughs> I mean, what? I am not the father. <laughs> you guys thought I was what, like Judas and the Black Messiah? No, no, thank you. Not walking in that minefield. All right. <laughs> I am the sound of metal. <laughs> um, well, congratulations. Thank you. My name is Mank. <laughs> Mank. Such a good word to say. Mank. I, I think that's the whole thing of that movie. Mank. Yeah. The movie itself can... God, it was so... I, can I can't believe it, that David but. Fincher has got away with the black and white film where just every character... The, the script that Jack Fincher wrote wasn't nominated and he just kept... Kept wearing Mank over and over again. Oh, I also I actually read a thing about. The, do you know why that script wasn't nominated? Because it didn't deserve it. Because <laughs> that man had never written a script before. Because it starts in Act Three. That's why. Look, <laughs> that's why the script wasn't fucking hey, nominated. Hey, go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Stimble Shanks. And I feel bad for David. I feel bad for him. He just wanted his daddy to get nominated. I hope they took some more tequila shots like he did during the Golden Globe ceremony. Are we sure that was tequila? That. I'm, I hope it was. Yeah, you know, you know, he's not fucking around, David. You think you think Fincher makes his own moonshine? Is he not yes. that kind of guy? <laughs> yeah, I a hundred percent do. So let's dive into these nominations. Um, we're gonna do a whole nother podcast where we actually make our predictions. So let's not get into the weeds of that this time. Let's just react to the official Oscar nominations. 
Um, Mank did get the most with 10. Um, to see it. And then six each for the father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Messiah uh, Minari, Nomadland, uh, Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago 7. So here's the thing uh, about this award show is that the nominations are actually like pretty fucking good. Yeah, Best Picture. <laughs> like, went- I, I think that the Oscars like kind of nailed it this year. It gave me kind of hope for the future. Best Picture went to The Father, Judas, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago 7, which all in all is pretty solid. And the 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 front runner right now, I think, is Nomadland. But yes. I think that it's not enough of a front runner to think that some of these other ones can't get it. Like, I could see the path for... Minari or Judas or maybe Mank. Actually, maybe Mank, not Mank. I think that Mank is like might be the least likely film here to win. What's kind of crazy is like I I expected I predicted whenever we had the Judas episode that like Judas this was being set up to be like a classic late push for Oscars. Um, and that's a noms. good sign. But. It's been kind of crazy, like the quiet murmur that's happening for Minari to win Best Picture. Yeah. Which, if that happens, I mean, that would be it's just, just the right time that of would be, the push. Yeah, that would make me so fucking happy. It is gaining momentum at the right time. The problem is that Nomadland has just kind of dominated everything all year. So I feel like it's going to end up being Nomadland. And look, here's the thing. Nomadland's a really good movie. We did a whole episode on it. We all really enjoyed it. But I would be... So happy if it won. Yeah, I mean, Close it's out. better than fucking Trial of the Chicago Seven, which is I haven't the seen it. Only thing that's I'm gonna watch it before the Oscars happen. Best Director, great category: Lee Isaac Chung, Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, David Fincher, Chloe Zhao, and Thomas Vinterberg, director of Another Round. Academy coming through with the wild ass director pick and. What did that shut out? But Aaron Sorkin for Trial of Chicago 7, which everybody thought was going to be the pick. And that's fucking awesome. You'll love to see that. I still have a chance to see another round. I know it's available on Hulu now. So I'm excited. It's just crazy that he got in there. Like, that's such a wild, wild left field pick. I I love it. It's it really it shows that the Academy is getting younger. (laughs) Like a couple years ago, they had uh, um, Paul Polakowski for uh cold war get in there and like this this is the best i love this i love seeing it makes me feel like i didn't just waste the last year of my life (laughs) despite the fact that we as a society kind of all wasted the last years of our life i mean all in all these nominations it makes me feel like it is a good representation of the year in film like everybody was saying like oh this is going to be an asterisk oscars because everything got pushed out of the calendar but i no, we yeah. these are fucking great. The best movies. director, there is one white American man in best director. That's insane. That's fucking awesome. It's not black director, which we could have used a Regina King mm-hmm. or a Shaka, Shaka King. King. Yeah. Either one of those would have been exciting. But like I really love this slate that we have on here. It's great. Uh best actor, no Delroy Lindo. Which you really hate to see that. Yeah, but it, that was kind it of sucks outside that it of was kind scope. of between Stephen Yun and Delroy. That was but Stephen Yun got it in there. Yeah, historic nomination. Also Riz Ahmed, which oh, what a fucking performance. Uh, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, but the guy that's got it in the bag, Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. He 
he's got it for Ma Rainey. Like 100% he's going to get it. And I, he deserves it. It's a great performance. I haven't looked up the odds yet, but I mean, Chadwick should be like a minus 5,000 favorite. Like that is that that's going to happen. I, uh, I'm be honest with you guys. Drew, have you seen Sound of Metal yet? No. Well, one, before the Oscars happen, please, please, please watch try to movie. get around to it. Um, that like it's kind of shocking that this movie is like becoming so Dude, beloved. Every, it's incredible. Every nomination that was announced because I watched the nominations yeah, live as, the, I got as up, they happened. Got up bright and early on Monday morning. Every time it said they said Sound of Metal, I fucking cheered. I was like, <laughs> yes, it has like this very like passionate fan base behind it, which is awesome. I mean, this was one of my favorite movies of the year last year. Like it's, just but it, so it's a movie good. that would have been sideline if it was any other year. Right. I mean, there are other movies I got sideline, like never rarely, sometimes always first cow. Uh, I'm thinking of ending things um, that just, you know, didn't get anything here, but sound of metal. I feel like any other year would have been part of that crowd. Yeah. That it would just been like forgotten. an indie movie that ends up on some critics top tens list. But people are like, that was fun. But we have to make space for Dune in best picture. Um, Paul Racy for supporting. That was the first time that I was like, I'm going to scream. Yeah, I think that it was the el- first nomination elation. that was announced. And I was like, Oh, Sound of Metal might yeah. actually get some love here. Uh, Maria Bakalova for Borat. Yeah, baby. Yeah. I feel like Glenn Close is going to win this, unfortunately. for that's gonna We're going to have to like, but it's such an Oscar thing that like 30, 40 years from now, we're like, wait, how Glenn Close funny, won for Hillbilly How funny would it be if she lost to Olivia Coleman again? Again mm. for the father. <laughs> that would be the funniest thing in the world. That would be really great. Um. Or oh. Yonju Jung for Yonju Jung, I that's who I want to win. That's who deserves to win in my book. Really, um, I have not had a chance to see the father yet because it still is not uh, available to me. Um, I think it's actually going on VOD this Friday, so maybe I'll get a chance to check it out before next week. But um, really, Yonju Jung and uh, Amanda Seyfried. I think Amanda Seyfried, like people kind of forgot, she's really fucking good in Mank. She's really, really good. And she's been great for a long time. Yeah. Drew, what did you think about her performance on 1.2 speed? Um, great performance. Better than whatever you saw. <laughs> she's really good in Mank. She, I mean, it's definitely the best I've ever seen her because she's been bad before for sure. Um, she's good in Mean Girls. Yeah, definitely. She's um, good in Mamma Mia. Yeah. Better in Mamma Mia too. She plays a really, really bad role in um, the first reformed. I, oh, uh, I still yeah. will stand by the fact that that is just you can say it's like, not well, she's not the group of the it, yeah. That's more like in a, the Paul Schrader. Yeah, that's a that very, character. very. She does a good job. Poorly written woman. Yeah. Um. um oh, best actress. We we skipped over that one. Uh, that's but, ca- that's like one of the most wide open. It really categories is. in the whole. You thing. have Viola Davis from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, which is somebody like just a few months ago, I thought would have just been a hands down favorite, but now it's really been more open because Andre Day was nominated for United States versus Billie Holiday, a movie that 
uh, I've heard is very mediocre, but that she is incredible in. It's like Andre Day is on the scene. Like they wanted to give mm-hmm. her this nomination and be like, Andre Day is here to stay. I, I honestly could see Carrie Mulligan getting this for Promising Young Woman yeah. and it being like the only award that the movie gets. I hope that Promising Young Woman doesn't get shut out, which I feel like it has a high chance of that where it's like we gave you six nominations, but you'll enjoy your six nominations and not actually take anything home. Like last year with the Irishman, the Irishman got like, what, like eight nominations then walked away with nothing. Um, Cause Viola Davis has an Oscar, right? uh, I believe so. Um, Yeah. I know that she won an Academy award. I can't remember what she won for. Oh, for fences. Oh, she was nominated for doubt, but she won for fences. Yes. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, love to see that. Uh, Francis McDormand is, of course, in the play. If this really does shape up to be a Nomadland type of night, like if Nomadland Sweet. starts picking up all of the technical awards, then I could easily see Francis McDormand winning this. And then the last one is um, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, which is a movie that I just I don't even know if I'll I it's mean, I guess I'll watch Netflix. it. Yeah, it's just sitting there for me. It's in my like queue of films, like right at the front. And I'm like, ah, not today. No, not everything today. I've heard about it seems like it's a very unpleasant watch. I've heard that it's like the most Oscar baity, like traditional Oscar bait type movie. Like it's very gruesome and grueling is what I've heard. So yeah i i probably won't get around to it supporting actor though we have our two guys from judas lakeith and daniel kaluuya kaluuya is gonna win this right so lakeith going and supporting is interesting it's a little bit of category fraud but it's it's because chadwick has it locked up in lead yeah i think that they and i think that as it was getting closer to the ceremony and to the nominations, best actor like that five was becoming a little bit more solidified. And I think the studio really wanted to push to have two acting nominations. Yeah. Um, in that case, it's great. I love that Lakeith is nominated for an Oscar. Is he going to win? No, but like I'm I'm happy for it. I hope that there isn't vote splitting and then like Sasha Baron Cohen wins for Trial of the Chicago 7. We'll just say it's for Borat. We'll say it's for Borat. Very nice. Um, my wife i love uh i love leslie odom jr in uh one night in miami he's the best actor. i haven't seen that movie he's the best actor in I that movie uh, so i'm glad that he got a nomination one night in miami really quiet night i thought that that movie whenever i saw it back in mid-january i thought that that had a chance to be what judas and the black messiah ended up being which is kind of that the last late minute, push yeah. kind of film but because the window just got pushed back judas kind of snuck in there and Took everything. Judas is also a little bit of a bear movie. The screenplay nominations are excellent this year. No um, uh, Palm Springs. I was really hoping Palm Springs would sneak into original there. Mm, that would have been cool. Didn't. But the original still it's still good. It's Judas, Minari, Promising, uh, Sound of Metal and Trial. Um, they had to get Aaron Sorkin in there. So I of guess he, he yeah. pushed out any hope for Palm Springs. But um. But still, I really I mean, that that five is great. I'm glad that Sound of Metal got a screenplay nomination. Right? I did like that was shocking to me that they got because the thing is that it's one of those 
films where you watch it and you don't actually realize like oh like oh the screenplay isn't that much they're not actually like saying that many things but like that is all in the script itself all the like signing all of the signing yeah. and everything and it's so well done i think it's an incredible screenplay i just didn't think that was the type of thing that would get even recognized by the academy yeah I, I could easily see Minari winning this. Or do they give it to Aaron Sorkin? Please don't give it to Aaron Sorkin. He already has a fucking Oscar. He Let's has not two. do this. He has two. He has it for Steve Jobs and for uh, uh, Social Network. Adapted screenplay. Borat. Subsequent movie film. Um, they read mm. all of the nominees. <laughs> yeah, they said Borat subsequent movie film delivery of prestigious bribed American regime for make benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan. And they proceeded to read the like 27 names that were on here, which everybody, I, everybody has been saying that like that it's stupid for this movie to be nominated for screenplay because it's improvised. But nobody's talking about how like they actually wrote the movie. They had lines prepared for all of the actors to go into these crazy yeah. scenarios well, to go and say. It, it also might be uh, a lockout because because the, the nature of the movie, it is like, you know, those lines are, you know, there's the structure of the movie, the bones, and then there are a lot of jokes. So all of the special thanks at the end of that movie which featured a bunch of comedy writers that like we all love they wrote jokes that were in the movie <laughs> yeah that's tough to like adr type stuff um yeah or just like you know they were consulted before shooting even they oh, were like before shooting. yeah but wow. also yeah adr is like a heavy thing that happens but it's just like hey uh, we're gonna have so here's the situation they'll be in like what's something they could say right um like like Tom Sharpling and Julie Klausner of mm-hmm. the Double Threat podcast that I like very much. Lord and Miller. Yeah, Lord and Miller. And on that, they actually they did a good amount. I didn't realize. Um, uh, I think Miller did uh, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you believe it. I mean, it's and also it's not completely unprecedented. Like Borat, the original film, got an Oscar nominations yeah. for its screenplay. Like the Academy does respect this type of humor because the thing is that it is like very over the top and farcical but it also is still making a social statement so the academy can brand it as quote unquote important i was actually a little bit surprised that it didn't get nominated for best picture that the academy only did eight nominees next year will be the first year where it's minimum 10 the or where it is 10 just, set yeah, at 10 it's, it's set at 10. 10 every not every year instead of being up to 10 which i think will be better i yeah. think that we'll get more like fast nine yeah fast nine um mission impossible seven of course uh tom Min- and jerry is minions. leading the yeah minions kong versus godzilla kong, yeah of course yeah god it's gonna be a tough race next year um well we're gonna do a whole yeah oscars predictions where we like lock our picks in before the actual ceremony we're gonna so have we'll, to do another gamble we haven't done that in a uh, year of the winner whoever gets the most nominees will get to pick a film last, that we discuss on this podcast last year didn't drew didn't you tie with 
Adam or was that you, Hunter? One of you tied with Adam. I think that I tied with Adam, and I don't think that we ever we never, picked a movie. Yeah, we never then did anything because society the world shut ended. down. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, because me and Adam were going to like joint figure out a movie for us to talk yeah. about. So maybe I'm going to get back to I'm that before Adam Oscars. To have us talk about Mulholland Drive because that's my dream for this podcast. And then we can end it, and I don't care anything else. Then okay. Well, uh, Drew, it looks like you wrote Grammys, question mark. No, that was me. Um, Do you guys want to talk about the Grammys? No. No. Okay. Uh, Yeah, Phoebe Bridgers got shut out of everything that tells you all you need to know, Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say on the podcast right now, I was wrong on my list. Punisher is the best album of last year. Just go listen to Punisher instead of uh, looking up anything about the Grammys. That's it. I don't want to say anything else about them. The Grammys are really funny. Do we think that Elton John actually punched a person? I hope so. I hope so too. Hey, Thundercat won a Grammy. That's cool. That's pretty cool. Good for him. Yeah. He dedicated to Mac Miller. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I did not watch it. I, at one point on Sunday night, I thought I said like something to my girlfriend. I was like, should we throw on the Grammys? Those are on right now. And we both kind of just like shared a look with each other. Like, no, nah. nah, we're not going to fucking do that. We're not going to do that. That's not who we are. Yeah. I watched The Leftovers instead because I'm watching through it for like the third time. <laughs> Great fucking show. Um, let's get to catch up. So, Drew, why don't you uh, lead us into what you've been watching? I got some cats up, boys. Well, uh, I think I... S- yeah, I said it a, a couple weeks ago when we did catch up. I'm, I'm in a course right now that is motion picture genre that uh, specializes in LGBTQ representation in film. Uh, and we have finally entered the realm of when movies did not have to like be actively introducing, you know, the, the normal audience to the I- very idea of gay people <laughs> existing. Um, cause that was still very much what was happening or, or if- skirt around it without actually introducing it. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that still was going on well into the eighties, even with like very progressive films, it was still like like they were like baby you know it was baby food for for these adults they were just like spoon feeding like okay well this guy actually sucks dick like Mm -hmm. come on let's (laughs) let's grow up gang um i got three really really good ones uh that i i would recommend with stipulations uh to people the first one it was the biggest surprise just because i had never heard of it and it's really not in the discourse and i feel like now of all times it definitely could be it's called the watermelon woman have you heard of this never it's uh directed and written and starring cheryl i'm i'm trusting a pronunciation website right now it says uh dunny it looks like dunye either way um it's she plays uh, herself essentially a like character named cheryl um she is very young in this uh and you know obviously she is gay and she this movie it draws directly from i think two big influences stylistically i think one is clerks because this is uh, she works at a video store and a lot of scenes center around the video store and it's all about you know it's about like the love of movies the clerks isn't so much about that but like there you know there's a lot of uh that type of discourse in clerks uh and then also Spike Lee, I think, is the biggest stylistic uh, influence. This, you know, this, she's got to have it. Uh, yeah. Do the right thing. This is 96. It's taking place in, I believe, New York. Uh, and it, yeah, the, the city shots just feel like it. The, just the energy of the movie feels like it. If you like if you watch this in 1996, you'd be like Cheryl is going to be 
the biggest human like i don't know if she's gonna lean into acting or writing or directing but like she is going somewhere and she really kind of didn't like she she kept doing things sort of of this nature which if that it's that's what she wanted to produce that's fine i have a feeling that she was definitely hamstrung because of the content of what she was making she was very interested in uh intersectional lesbianism like how being black coincides with being lesbian uh, and also like this really, really weird melding of documentary and fiction where she's playing someone named Cheryl. She her character is investigating this woman she's become obsessed with who's in these old movies, always in like a, a black woman who's always playing like the mammy role. But like Cheryl, like explains like, but she's like really, really good. Like if you just watch her, she's just in these shit roles. And like she ends up unfolding this entire mis- this, this whole uh Uh, sort of secret story about how like this uh actress like actually had a gay relationship with the director who like uh you know made a bunch of movies she was in and it's it's very fascinating but it's also fascinating because all of that is presented as pure documentary like it's presented as like full truth but then it's also in the middle of a narrative um where you know her she is she meets uh like a love interest she has a best friend who works at the video store with her and like another character and they're helping her make a movie called the watermelon woman like it's it has that like meta narrative thing to him um the love interest she has is guinevere turner who was also in another movie i saw called called go fish um but guinevere turner wrote american psycho oh wow oh yeah um this this is another movie that just like it feels like a spawning ground for like big shit like you you watch this and you're like oh big shit is coming out of this it's like we just talked about raising arizona that kind of has the same feeling like i i just was i was mostly blown away by cheryl herself and how she came up with this like multi-layered concept uh and starred in it and i like if anything i wish she would have acted more because she's very magnetic like she's so so likable um, the movie, like the movie has flaws. It structurally is really weird. It has like an unbelievably low budget and you can feel that a lot. Um, some of the acting is really subpar because of $300, that. $300,000. Yeah. She, yeah. A lot of her friends are cast in it and you can feel that they're not, you know, quite on the level because you don't always get amateur actors that are on the level of Cheryl, who is just like out of this world. Either way though, the movie is like really, really interesting and it, it just feels like something that people would be talking about right now. Um, even for all its faults, like it, it does in many ways feel like unpolished, but it's it's really fascinating uh, how they pull how she pulled it off in particular. Um, another one from the same year, 96 bound. Heard of it? Uh, the Wachowski sisters, right? Yeah. Yep. They're I think first. Is it their first? Yeah. Um, I believe so. It is. Uh, it has it centers around a lesbian relationship, but it's not about that relationship necessarily. Um, it's a neo-noir movie and watching it, it's another one where like you watch this and you're like, yeah, these people are going to make the matrix. <laughs> really? It's you the get signs that much are there. from it. Not, not like that much. Cause obviously that's a big leap for anyone. Cause this is still like pretty low budget, but like you watch and you're like, yeah, they have like a very firm grasp on filmmaking. Like they, there's nothing missing from the movie. It's. It, leather jackets drum and bass <laughs> well like we watched uh you and me watched brick once remember yeah. mm-hmm. ryan johnson's debut feature 
um and micro that, budget yeah exactly like bike obviously this has a bigger budget but it has it's the same thing where it's like a neo-noir that just proves that the filmmaker has like a great understanding of how films work and how genre works and how uh shooting things work mm-hmm. uh this is that like blown up because this is like a way better movie um it's it's a great great movie like it it's another one that I, you would just think people would sort of gravitate toward it's really corny and over the top because it's a neo-noir movie and it's by the wakowskis who are over the top um but and also uh speaking of over the top the i think maybe like the second or third most lines in the movie go to joey pants hey the legend Pantaleamo. yeah who is never not <laughs> doing a lot um except when he's in a movie that doesn't need him to do a lot but in this oh my m- god chris maloney is in this chris maloney <laughs> is playing a cartoonish like mob goon <laughs> Yes. That's incredible. That's perfect wearing, casting for Chris yeah, Maloney. He's wearing like a, like a Steve Harvey suit. It's fucking awesome. Oh my god. Yeah, he's like a lackey. He rules. Um, but really, it centers around the the relationship between our two leads. Uh, one of which is Jennifer Tilly from I think the Child's Play is where she like really just exploded. And that's like what she's still like most famous for. And then Gina Gershon, who went on to do like tons and tons of shit. Um, it, Gina is, I think, doing like repairs at this like nice apartment that uh, Jennifer Tilly lives at and she's with Joey Pants, uh, but she doesn't want to be. And then like they quickly form a relationship and it's all about like they they basically hatch a plan to get her out because she's stuck with him Um, and they hatch a plan to get a shitload of money from him, like by interfering with one of his like mafia deals and then get the fuck out. And, you know, it's just all about like that and how it goes awry it it has just immensely tight filmmaking it it doesn't bite off more than it can chew which came to be something that maybe the wakowskis were known for yeah and that's what i was about to get to is like they are the ultimate uh directing duo that just kept getting these blank checks that kept bouncing yeah like you go from speed racer to Jupiter to, to, to cloud Atlas to cloud Atlas to Jupiter sending. It's like bounce, bounce, bounce. It's like, how the fuck do you keep getting these blank checks? But the other thing is like, does your professor Barry dive into this like idea, this sort of like unofficial uh idea that all of the Wachowski's movies are this meta narrative about the trans experience? Um yeah because the matrix like really plays into yeah the matrix is very much involving that this also is because this is one of the first things screened in this course that is like i said is not about gay existing in the world it's really like gina gershon could just as well be a man and the movie really wouldn't be very different at all right um they made a whole show about that since eight (laughs) <laughs> on netflix did you watch it no but i've heard people talk about it and like that's essentially what it is it's like all of these overlapping experiences that just like bleed oh. into each other uh it's called cloud atlas mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. the true true mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah Boy. it's it's not about it but it like the more you dissect the movie it is about uh these two women not just through their the fact that they are gay, but they are dismantling one of the most patriarchal systems you could possibly have, which is the mafia, you know, the Italian mafia. Um, They are, you know, they're upending it. 
Um, so it, it still has plenty of themes of that. It's very, it's much less like a insanely transformative thing the way that like the Matrix is, where it's just like everything is a lie. Um, but this is just a very tight, like self-contained little movie. You can tell it has a low budget despite like how good it looks and like the fact that it has famous actors because I think 90% of this movie was shot in one location. Hmm. Yeah. And you don't really, you don't really feel that. Uh, so it's a success. It's, it's very successful. It's a lot of like corny ass dialogue. They will never not have that in their movies. That's just how they are. I'm excited to talk about Gina Gershon and uh, whenever we get to face off in the Nick Cage series. Hey. Oh, is she the wife? Um, she no, not the wife. Um, she is. She's not the John Travolta that gets the Nick Cage face wife. No, she is. Um, I can't remember what her character does in the film. Uh, Sasha is her name. We'll I haven't visited revisited Face Off in so long, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it's her. It. Oh, is it? I thought it was Joan Allen for some reason. We'll see. Bill Pope shoots uh, Bound, and mm. he's the same guy who shot all the Matrix movies. Yeah, it's it's a good looking movie. Um, it's it's very saturated. Like it has that like cartoony blood in it that just is so red. Like it's redder than red. Also shot um all of the Sam Raimi Spider Man movies. Hey, nice. Um, nice. Actually, no, he didn't shoot the first one. He only shot two and three. Uh, also shot Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Very colorful movie. Alita Battle Angel. Hey, bring me the one Best they call Alita. Anyway, uh, last movie from this course I want to talk about is Boys Don't Cry, which this is easily the most like well known because Hilary Swank won Best Actress mm-hmm. for uh, for this movie. So it got shitloads of buzz about it. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. 90 yeah it's, it's i remember it's 99 telling me about it's, this. it's very thorny to talk about uh i mean all these are theoretically thorny for me to talk about because i shouldn't be talking about them because they're you know it's out of my scope to discuss well that's the whole point of the class you're taking and that's like and this. that's also the whole point of having a film podcast yeah it's just talking beyond what you should be talking about and no you're right though it's well this, that's why i love this class because it's the first class i've ever very confidently known that i should not raise my hand <laughs> I should really actually just like hear what uh, people with more lived experience have to say about this stuff. Uh, This was the most negative release uh, received out of any of these. Wow. Because even with the Oscar win, I mean, who cares about that? Like in terms of like how it it, it's depiction of LGBTQ uh, life, because and there are there are very good reasons for that. This is based on the very true story of a trans man uh, named Brandon Tina, who uh, was, uh, I think, grew up in Nebraska and was murdered like very young. Wow. And it, yeah, and it's based on this this guy's fucking story. Uh, and this movie is brutal. Like it's very like wildly unflinching. Toward the end, it becomes like grotesque. It's it's hard to watch. Like. I'm not squeamish and I had to look away at points. It, this is, you know, it's from 99. I'll, I'll tell you, this movie shows you a whole rape <laughs> and it's, sh- and then, you know, obviously it shows you a whole fucking murder. Damn. Um, and it's just like, Oh, it, it just feels gratuitous, uh, at points. Um, it's, that said though, the movie itself is really good. Like it's very, very, very good. 
Um, Chloe seven years is the love interest uh, named Lana in this. And she's like, she's insanely like, I get why she was the it girl of the nineties kind of watching this. You're like, yeah, I, I get the magnetism. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Sarsgaard is kind of nasty looking guy, dude. He is so repugnant in this movie. He's like good looking he's, in this movie. He's the rapist, right? Uh, one of them. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to talk about or want to talk about, but the movie itself works in terms of like making you feel very visceral, viscerally. Yeah. Um, people have called it like trauma porn because you could definitely interpret it that way. You could watch it. Yeah. Well, just especially cause it's based on someone's real life, man. Right. Like that's, I don't know about that and about showing a real person who was raped and murdered, get raped. That's yes. Yeah, so that's too much to me. You don't do that. You I know, mean, it's, it's, it's of, a gut thing. Like there's no like correct answer, but to me, you just don't do that. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of interesting. Like, because I mean, the filmmaker made this Kimberly Pierce is a queer person. So mm-hmm. it's just like, that it's like if they couldn't tell this story in a way that was a little bit more uh, empathetic isn't necessarily the right word, but a little bit more palatable. Yeah. Then like, is this just a story that just should not have well, been it's made? It's also this this movie is I think is very intentionally trying not to be palatable. Like I think it's trying to be like this is what happens to trans people right. in America. This was a relatively it, it wants to thing. be in your face. Yeah, it wants yeah. to be like, isn't this fucking awful right. and gross? Um so it succeeds at doing that. By today's standards, there are a lot of things about it that haven't aged well uh discourse wise. Uh like for example like everyone was very upset and and if you look up reviews they also are just generally online that in the credits they like are very quick to dead name <laughs> brandon tina and in parentheses which you know is just sort of a no-no but it really like we were in such an embryonic state of trans discourse back then and trans representation yeah it's because also you could be upset that they didn't cast a trans man to play the lead but that's a matter of do you want the movie to be made or not right because it won't get made if it is starring a trans man in 1999 because there weren't any famous trans men in 1999 who would play this role it's more egregious to do Dallas Buyers Club with 2014 Jared Leto playing a trans woman it's more egregious to have Jared Leto in a movie (laughs) if he's not wearing a crown of thorns that is that said though the movie like I couldn't help but think the movie is just wildly successful at what it wants to do and by that day's standards it it was a success for for this community Barry was defensive about the movie because he was there for it and people in class were trying to view it through the lens of modern uh, LGBTQ mm-hmm. discourse. That's not what the movie is. Right. This there weren't movies about trans people. It's it's interesting it looking it up. Ground. This movie just got a just recently got added to the um, national uh, like the the mm. national board of films for yeah. film history and stuff it's, like that because it does seem like that it is kind of a slice of what this life was yeah, like that's back in the late 90s. Exactly. Yeah, well that's that you have to watch it as not just not just that because I think yeah, I want to say uh Brandon Tina died not long before this, like maybe in the early 90s. Um 
but also so you have to watch it as this is how trans people were treated not long ago but also this is how trans people were addressed in movies a little after that like you have to watch it as a historical document and if you do that like with that layer of removal uh it's a great movie like it is it just also like i like i said i'm not squeamish i really can't name many times i've ever had to look away and i really really like there were times i was like but how, how many, are we even sitting in here i need to leave this room right now like how, it's brutal how many movies can we name that have a trans character in a role that isn't pointing to their trans experience like we just saw a promising young woman laverne cox Mm -hmm. has a little bit part in there but there aren't that many movies that have been like yeah i mean doing the the work to like normalize it to mind is uh euphoria with hunter schaefer yeah great example that i mean that's where it's just like it's not it's not about yeah that's what that's what's going to be going on like now and in the near future yeah well that's that's the state that we're like entering but yeah back then like this was seen as a huge success because people talked about it because it won the oscar it was like in it was discussed at large by everyone and it was about a trans person i just bring that up because like there are still trans people being murdered yeah like that's not something that no. just went away like that's something that's still happening and it just i know that like you know if we did have more representation in hollywood it wouldn't fix that problem but i feel like culture hasn't progressed as much as we would think no since I, well, no absolutely not it's just i don't know it's it's really just like a you're gonna have to see what you take away from it yourself because uh i it's it's really icky and yet they wanted it to be icky for a reason um and so they did that it just like still left me thinking like you did a little too much yeah you really did it's like kind of almost a classic academy thing where it's like we want to like say like this movie is important and we want to recognize it but it's just like you almost have to be you have to do too much yeah. to get that kind of recognition. Isn't that the role of film sometimes, though? Yeah. To like really to cross the, that line, maybe. Yeah, you almost have to cross the line for it to start a discussion. Because then it's just like, OK, now that how we're else, up this discussion, now we can find where is the line. How else are you going to get people to like have these thoughts in their heads? Yeah. No, I know. Especially back in this time period. Like it, No, absolutely. Yeah, that's why generally like I, I you know. Who I mean, who cares what I thought compared to anyone else in the? That, I will say, of course, but it it just it's a successful movie. It might leave you with a bad taste in your mouth by design, possibly, and also mm-hmm. maybe not by design. Maybe just because by today's standards, a lot of what they did was for me. It was really just because this was a real ass person. I don't yeah. think like any real ass person. I wouldn't depict them getting raped the way that it's depicted in this right. movie. The, the amount of graphic. You never yeah. saw you see the, the whole thing. You never saw no. the Nightingale, did you? No. Do either no. of you guys see that? That's another film uh, more recently that does depict rape uh, multiple times in a way that you can tell um, that uh, the filmmaker making it definitely thought like this is going to be uh my attempt it was made by jennifer kent who uh made like the babadook and monster and it was like her trying to say like i'm not going to make a rape revenge story like the boy like men often do and it's not quite that but it's still a tough fucking Mm -hmm. hang 
Um, it's a movie that I, I respected more than I really liked. Uh, I'm definitely not playing and revisiting. One thing I will say about Kimberly Pierce, um, she belongs in the We Bought a Mic Hall of Fame because she directed two episodes of Halt and Catch Fire. No fucking yeah. way. Quinn. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, there you Which go. Which ones? Uh, Play With Friends, uh, season two, episode four. Okay. Early days. And uh, the One Way or Another, uh, season three, episode two. Okay. So popped in two different seasons. Oof. No. Love me some halt. Equally, equally important in the discourse. Honestly, you guys might have to remind me if I've already talked about this. Because, you know, life is Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. Have I talked about Now You See Me on the pod? No, that was off pod off last pod, week. I believe, yeah. Um, we gotta, we gotta. I, I need to do something about this movie. I don't did know. You watch the sequel too? No, you don't. No, never did. Um, maybe watch it and we can do a whole thing. The, I haven't seen either of them. The movie's fucking bad. It's, it's. Woody Harrelson wears a hat. Oh, yeah. It's well, it's it's just it's fascinating and it it needs to be discussed because it is like the classic movie we're saying is dead. It's mid. It was seventy five mil budget, crazy cast, like the unbelievable. Deepest, yeah, cast. the deepest. But like Harrelson, Morgan Freeman, Mark Ruffalo, Jesse Eisenberg, um, Isla Fisher, yeah. Melanie Laurent, who I fucking love, Michael Caine, <laughs> Dave Franco, <laughs> Common is in this movie, uh, Michael Kelly, our guy. It's a, uh, it's just an insane deep bench. Yeah, what? it's it's really really crazy. Who directed? Um, I'm pulling it up right now. It's it probably was, some uh, rando. Uh, yeah, Louis. Oh, Louis Ledier. Yeah, yeah he Louis did, uh, He's done some. He did a. Uh, yeah. So this movie sucks. Brothers Grimsby and stuff. He did like the that. the Incredible Hulk, right? Oh, the, did he Norton. do that? The, the canceled that was supposed to be part of the MCU and then just got canned? I think, yeah, he definitely did. I think if maybe if you turned your brain off, you could just like enjoy the fact this movie exists. It, it almost reminds you of like National Treasure in that way where like it feels like a kid's movie, the logic of it, because it's so stupid and inane. Um, it, the Yeah, it's about these like master magicians who are all gathered up by some mysterious force to like to like enter the realm of like true magic and in the in also in the movie they're doing heists uh but as live shows they're doing they're like we're going to rob a bank that's in paris even though we're in front of you in vegas tonight Mm. and then they do it um i think using real magic maybe i don't i don't listen clear um and the person chasing them is rough is the roughs Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you well, you go in thinking we're gonna get to know these magicians and like their shenanigans because they've been gathered up. We see like the gathering up scene where they all meet and it's like, oh, this is the crew. This is the Ocean's Eleven, and then we mostly just hang out with Mark Ruffalo, who is this uh, stupid detective who's falling in love with uh, Melanie Laurent Mm -hmm. from Inglorious Bastards, Um, and He's, he's like smart Hulk, like. Hey, yeah, he's a he's a take f- a selfie. He's a fed and he's like trying his best to catch them. Uh, but they're all, you know, and then like Morgan, everyone, the whole movie is telling him, like, you're not going to catch them. They're one step ahead all the time. And they are. Um, and this more than anything, I really need to unload. This movie has pr- maybe the most unearned twist I've ever seen in any movie. It's so bad. It's it made me it was like Deadpool 2's ending where like I was already like Ugh. and then the end after the end I was like I'm done um 
I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Go for it. <laughs> I'm not going to watch this movie. Ruffalo spends the whole movie being he he is a fed. He has been a fed for years. His life is like the life of a fed. And he's a magician. All and along. he is the secret master magician. Of course. So that would be like a really cool reveal if it made any sense. But it doesn't because he is a fed. This isn't like a special agent. Like everyone knows him at the right. fed. Like he's been a fed. He's pulling a long con where he became a fed and lived the life of a fed for like his whole life. Mm-hmm. Just because his dad was this like uh, mysterious magician who like died or something and like now he like actually knows real he magic magicians he, it, it, yeah like at the very end they finally get to meet like who's been like you know pulling the strings all along and then ruffalo walks out and i was like i i'm yes. i gotta take a walk it is funny. <laughs> i gotta leave the fucking room right now i'm gonna kill myself you mentioned that they have like an oceans type meetup and so i looked up the poster on now you see me yeah it's the same um type so of... look at the poster of oceans 12 it's literally it's identical it's the same it's an fucking identi- yeah thing. it's identical it's just, marketing it's the same well thing. that's the feel of the movie which is why it it really rubbed my rubbed me the wrong way that we spend the whole thing watching ruffalo because that the whole thing is it's marketed like we're gonna meet yeah. these cool motherfuckers it's like if andy garcia was the lead of exactly Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> that, that would suck so bad and by the way uh i wouldn't have wanted to spend time with the magicians either there's awful their lines are so bad well we should definitely watch the sequel yeah you, you guys don't watch the first one it brings in daniel radcliffe interesting who i wonder how it works he's harry potter Okay. <laughs> yeah, he brings in magic. magic. He brings in more magic to this world. <laughs> I just like I wonder how the second one works cuz the first one they set up Is Dave Franco the lead? He's a lead. He's a coach. He's I think like Jesse, in the I think center Jesse of Eisenberg. like all these posters well, and it's like why that's weird he gets out of any of these people he gets the least lines but why is he in the they center also, of your poster they also fake his death in the middle of the movie and i was like oh that makes sense because he wasn't doing anything good and then he comes back and i was like oh fuck <laughs> like fuck i have to look at dave franco again how many, how many lines does woody harrelson's hat get he woody harrelson is easily the best guy he's always the best yeah he he rocks so hard i'm sure he doesn't have to try at all he's playing basically like the mentalist like he's playing like a (laughs) like a almost like a hitch type guy who just can read people's minds and knows exactly what they're thinking you know harrelson is awesome he it's not his fault eisenberg they write him to be smart guy and it's the most it's the worst smart guy writing i've ever heard in my life like he he just got cornered into that role i know he can't get out well he also he hasn't aged well because watching this i was like wow he looks like a nerd lead Mm. and he doesn't look like that anymore he looks worse he looks like a character actor now um but yeah listen i don't know i just am still finding myself thinking about it about this movie because ostensibly it's what i want more of because it's like you know it's it's fun and it has all the people but it's not like a marvel movie it's its own little thing but it's so bad man you got we're gonna watch the second one but you guys can't watch the first one i just told you the that's whole thing. fine i don't i yeah is the is the second one also louis later late louis letia it's still no it's not it's it john makes me oh mad. my god it's john chu oh no of oh, the man. upcoming in the heights yeah and so we're, we're yeah, this is like, a this is gonna be a lead up to in the heights yeah we have to do a john chu watch through um that's that's a bummer that he had to uh 
that he had to do that. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else to say about Now You See Me? I'm still fucking mad that the sequel isn't called Now You Don't. It's the just. It's, it's right literally. There. It's just Igadala running down on the breakaway, could just dunk it in, and then just goes mm. up for the layup and gets fucking blocked. Yeah. Third one. Now you three me. It's please. <laughs> it's please. It's please. And, um, and and who do you bring? So if they bring in Daniel Radcliffe into the sequel, who do you bring in to the third one? Um, probably Simon Baker is the mentalist. <laughs> okay, I dig that. I, I didn't dig know that. if you wanted to bring Chris Angel into this, like bring like a real life magician. No, I want Chris Maloney to play Chris Angel type. <laughs> you want to be? Think about mind that. freak. What about like Yu-Gi-Oh? Is that magic? Sure. There's cards. Yeah, sure. Some, there's something there. Okay. Yeah. We could instead of playing cards, it's like Yu-Gi-Oh cards. So you've been you've been watching through some Yu-Gi-Oh? Maybe Pokemon. They do Pokemon cards now. Get Pikachu, they, Ryan Reynolds in there. They've been doing. They do Pokemon cards now because they've been doing Pokemon cards since like the no, early. No, I 90s. mean in the now you see me movies, they're doing like traditional playing cards i'm oh, saying yeah. sub those in do you think that the heist is that they they actually heist all the happy meals from mcdonald's so they can collect all the all the pokemon cards that they have in the happy meals is that what's going on now is that what all the kids are doing nowadays yeah there was like a thing uh i i think that they stopped and now they have like raya uh toys or something like that but that was a thing that uh like grown dudes with neck beards were going to mcdonald's and buying like 50 happy meals so that they could like get all the pokemon cards out of there when i when and i and it definitely wasn't for the kids that they have in their basement <laughs> when i search magic movies on google this is what comes up <laughs> how often do you search magic the number movies? one result is a new movie on disney plus called magic camp Starring, oh my god starring Adam guy and Divine. i tried to watch that uh no yeah we tried to watch that right because that's an early disney plus release that movie is horrendous <laughs> which you probably could guess because it's a children's movie so that can we fold to that into plus. the now you see me sure yeah it's uh it's so fucking bad it's about how like adam divine returns back to this magic camp to that he went to as a kid as a counselor and then like the person who always one-upped him while he was a kid now she's the counselor and like all the kids in it it's just like where did they find these kids from because they're all just atrocious i think in 2021 we're past uh bad child actors i see so many things with good child actors now it's like you can just go like just you can find them now the next result is the uh fantastic beats and uh, the crimes of grindelwald then fantastic beats and where to find them then now you see me and so then, fantastic beats beat out any of the other harry potter movies and yeah i don't see harry potter on here at all <laughs> then the fifth result after now you see me for searching magic movies <laughs> is cats yeah like i skimble shanks is a little bit of a magical now being. you three me starring <laughs> skimble shanks <laughs> In a lot of ways, like Skimbleshanks is like he's half god, half magician. Okay, the the Harry Potter movies are a little bit further down the list. Once I really start scrolling down, then I see some some Harry Potter. Where's the prestige? Where's my Where's my two? The prestige, possibly the best Christopher Nolan movie, just isn't even on the list. My two feuding daddies. <laughs> 
They're nowhere to be found. I, I'm looking over at your list and it's like a nonsense list. Like whenever I think Ponyo, I don't think, ah, <laughs> oh, yes, magic. <laughs> I sure do. Whenever I watch a Marvel movie, magic. Explain it. <laughs> Can't. Uh, nanobots. Star Wars, magic. <laughs> Ernest, have you been watching anything? Yeah, I have. I've been watching a lot. More than I can fit into this episode. So yeah, I have I have other stuff. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to pick and choose here. Um, I've been doing the whole watch through of Disney animation because I've been following the blank check, um, Musker and Clemens series. So they started out with um the Great Mouse Detective, which I loved. That movie's bonkers, crazy. Mm -hmm. It's like Sherlock Holmes but with mice. Lovely movie. Um, they also did Aladdin, which holds up so well. Um, really, really love revisiting that Hercules, which doesn't hold up as well, but I have such I nostalgia for I it. I love the music of Hercules so fucking much though. I, I can't deny my bias towards that movie. Um, the little mermaid, which, you know, Sebastian is a fucking just G. I think that Kiss the Girl is like a top three uh, Disney song. Mm -hmm. I think that song just fucking mm -hmm. slaps. Are we still talking about, what are we talking about now? Oh, just stuff you've watched? Yeah. I thought you were still talking about magic movies for a second. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, they're, they're all a little bit magic. Yeah, how, it's how, kind of, it's been funny, like not so much you, but a friend of the pod, Harry, uh, who's been going in the Disney plus hole of just watching all these movies. And he's like, guys, beauty and the beast is actually pretty fucking good. And it's like, I guess like I watch these Disney movies like once a year. So it's kind of like, yeah, no shit. Like beauty and the beast was nominated for best picture. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? Like, of course that these are all one, bangers. That one really wowed me just on a visual level it's so because it, it's the only one of these movies where I felt like it, touched near the peak of what Miyazaki does with his movies mm. of that level of animation. When I look at beauty and the beast, I'm like, Oh my God, like, Holy crap. The animation, the, the, the design of this is just like so perfect. Um, I rewatch, I, I, I strayed off the Musker and Clements path a little bit because beauty and the beast is not Musker and Clements. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, if I'm going back to watch these movies, like might as well try to, stray off the path a little bit a goofy movie holds I up love that movie it holds up so well it's like so sad but also like bonkers weird fucking ridiculous shit um he's just a dad yeah be a dad i i Single fucking dad. love that movie and extreme goofy movie which extreme goofy movie is not quite as good but i still like an invasive thought of me is goofy going on the dance floor and to uh, check your groove thing mm -hmm. um and Stand i just <laughs> and just uh like my dream i thought that like when i was like six i thought that when you go to college you go and you join the bmx team and you compete in uh cool triathlons where you skateboard and you bike around right i thought Extreme. that's just what college was lilo and that's Stitch. literally exactly what we did we yeah i mean and then it, i fulfilled all my dreams of longboarding through a uh, parking garage and then like jumping off so i didn't die lilo and stitch holds up really well still lilo beautiful and stitch movie. Is a top five disney movie yeah. for me beautiful so movie tarzan i felt like didn't hold up as well but you get that music to really hoist it up the soundtrack is just so Dude, good. I so I think that this is I'm like a Lona and Island over here, uh, but I have 
a deep amount of nostalgia for Tarzan. Like Tarzan was one of my go tos as a kid. And mostly that score and stuff also in sync meant a lot to me. Yes. Um, and trash in the camp. Uh, Nobody I had ever CD gives that enough love. And just them, uh, them scatting through trash in the camp is just fucking incredible. There's so there's a there's a documentary on Disney Plus that really tells the story of like kind of the rise and fall of the renaissance of Disney in the late 80s early 90s it's called Waking Sleeping Beauty and I think it is really worth your time if you want to kind of get that perspective of like the animators and what they had to go through during these times of like kind of low lows and high highs um, because the management uh, executives at Disney were not really kind of the best leadership during this time. There was like a lot of erratic moments here in terms of like where they wanted to take the company and where like the overall animation industry was, you know, during these days as like 2D animation was really dying right before Shrek happened because like mm. Shrek changed everything. Um, but this renaissance period happened before that, um, but after kind of like the high, high peak. So, yeah. so they, they got under the wire, these movies like Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and the Lion King, they just happen at such kind of a sweet spot time, um, that this documentary captured so well. So I really, really recommend it. It's called oh, Waking Sleeping Beauty. I want to check that out because it's kind of crazy if you look at it like that, the trio, which now it's kind of ironic especially because one of them is just like a certified banger uh, an Imp emperor's new groove but the movies of the 2000 to 2002 kind of range of emperor's new groove titan ae atlantis the lost empire and uh treasure planet just like titan ae is not disney or not titan ae uh which one am i forgetting atlantis also uh, I mentioned I thought there was another one there. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, like those, especially those three movies, like people are like, OK, Disney's kind of past its prime. They don't have fun songs anymore. And they kind of overreached dancing. a little bit. They were they trying became to like do... action adventures. Not yeah. so much. I mean, Emperor's New Groove is just like a comedy straight up. Yeah. Like it's just kind of slapstick. But Treasure Planet is like the biggest bomb of any 2d animated it like that movie single-handedly killed 2d animation it was such a high budget and it crashed so hard that it single-handedly like ended 2d animation they were like ne shut it all down never again just drop your pencils <laughs> it is funny like musker and clements that was their passion project yeah. that they wanted to make the whole time they're like fine we'll make aladdin and the little mermaid but at the end of the road we get to make treasure mm -hmm. planet and then that's the one that it's just people whoops. just people didn't turn out for it i do like treasure planet it has some issues but i do admire the hell out of it yeah. there are some like absolutely breathtaking you know what you it. know what kids don't do is admire movies <laughs> yeah that's, that's not <laughs> you, don't, your problem. you don't want to make a movie that like no kid has that, ever like, said that like seven year olds are like man i really respect this film <laughs> even if it didn't resonate with me <laughs> Um, like a little like a, I bet you I, did say that when you were a kid though Ernie I, I said that to Treasure Planet I had the soundtrack the fucking Goo Goo Dolls song in it I can't even rem remember it right now there's a fucking Goo Goo I, Dolls song in the movie like it, it, it soundtracks a montage of like cyborg dad 
my cyborg stepdad. I haven't revisited it in a long time, but I remember as a kid, I actually liked Atlantis more than uh, Treasure Planet. Yeah, I think it is better. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know what like the critical reception. I have not revisited these movies in over a decade at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna revisit Atlantis at some point. I'm, I'm trying to space these out. I'm not trying to do what Harry did with like mainlining all yeah, of them. Yeah, he watched like fucking like nine Disney movies in a day and was like, these just aren't working for me as well anymore. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, they're the same thing. That's why they're generally effective space for audiences. <laughs> um, so a couple kind of going off the uh, away from the, the Disney uh, train over here, a couple of other movies I checked out in recent weeks that I wanted to shout out. I saw... Um, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Oh, I've always wanted to see this. Film. Uh, this movie really uh, wowed me. It's it's a very slow movie. Like it doesn't really have like a kind of breakneck, you know, energy to it. But it wowed me in the sense of like how kind of slow and methodical it was and how it approaches its storytelling. Is this is this B Pitts? Yeah, Brad mm-hmm. Pitt and Casey Affleck. But a lot of other people too. Sam Rockwell's in there, Jeremy Renner's in there. Um Your boy. Yeah, and and the movie, it just captures this this vibe of like the eighteen hundreds so well. Like it's just it looks beautiful. It's shot by Roger Deakins. Who directed? And, um I don't think it's anybody notable. I have a Mandela effect in my head where I always thought this was a Cohen's movie until recently. It has that vibe. It was the same year as No Country for Old Men. Yeah. There was a lot of well, back yeah, in just, 2007, the, like like this was almost like a critics thing where it was like the contrarian thing to be like, everybody's all over uh, No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood and uh, Michael Clayton, but really, uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford was actually the best. Yeah, movie that's be. yeah, that's like the, the dude who's like, you know, actually, cashew milk is better than any of exactly. The- <laughs> yeah, it's, okay, it's but yeah, I think maybe I would be drinking it if it was better. <laughs> it's directed by Andrew Dominic, um, who really oh. hasn't made that much. He made a movie called The Killing, Killing Them Softly. He also directed that um, Nick Cave documentary that we watched a while <laughs> Yeah. Back. Uh, shopping in a supermarket <laughs> one more time An African about like the saddest fucking where nick oh, cave was just yeah, like yeah fuck. i want to make a, a documentary about an album i wrote after my baby child died and yeah. we're like this is the most depraved thing i've ever seen you spend the life. whole movie hating him because you don't know that his son just died oh actually <laughs> you're like well now i feel like shit <laughs> what the fuck man nick, nick cave actually made uh, music for assassination of Jesse James. Mm. It's like he that's helped. really Nick Cave is low key like a very uh, he he's very quotable. He's almost like a long lost like a l- more emo Gallagher brother. Mm-hmm. You know, way more emo. Yeah, it's, of course. But he's he's equally uh, he has a lot of quotes about just hating other artists <laughs> like they do. He has a really famous one that's like. Uh, I'm constantly asking myself what this horrible band is on the radio. And the answer is always the Red Hot Chili Peppers. (laughs) (laughs) Nick. No. (laughs) That is some fire. I mean, he's a a giant prick. I'm sorry about your dead son. but Sorry your son took acid. I've always wanted to see Killing Them Softly because our boy Scoot's in it. Mm -hmm. James Gandolfini, Brad Pitt, Ray Liotta, Richard Jenkins. I've heard like great things about that movie. I'm going to check it out. This movie, Assassination of Jesse James, again, very slow and methodical movie. It doesn't really have like any 
extreme like action set pieces or anything like that but it just tells the story of like kind of jealousy and like brotherhood becoming uh toxic in a way and um this idea of this man who is like idolized and 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 becomes this icon kind of brought down to earth um and you know the title says what happens in the movie so you're kind of like building up to that moment the whole time and it's it's done really really well and to me the best part about it is just the vibe the music with the cinematography again fucking roger deakins like he just shoots the hell out of this thing it looks gorgeous um and then the other thing i watched that i wanted to shout out is a movie called we need to talk about kevin oh i love this fucking movie Lynn i had Ramsey. never seen I it before. almost made my top 10 of new movies uh that i saw for the first time last year i think it might make mine depending on what else i watched this year but I was like floored by this. So movie. fucking good, man. It's so like the tonality of this movie is so fucking good. It's directed by Lynn Ramsey, who did one of my favorite movies of a couple of years ago. Um, you were never really here with Joaquin. This one stars Tilda Swinton and Ezra Miller. Um, also, John C. Riley's in there. But they also have these child actors that play the younger version of Ezra Miller. And it is some of the best casting I've ever seen. These two little boys, because the the titular Kevin, he's essentially like the devil, like he is a demon incarnate. <laughs> and they are able to like really capture that in these performances of these two little boys and have you believe that this is the same person growing up that does these horrible horrible things and the way the movie like uh withdraws information to keep you engaged the entire time where you don't know exactly what kevin did and why he's so horrible you just know that he is horrible we, but you don't know the details of we it you yeah. need to talk about it yeah hey guess what but they don't <laughs> yeah. yeah and they probably That's, should if they do we're just taking this kid to fucking therapy this all would have been avoided <laughs> we with no. the sequel we should have talked about kevin i think <laughs> why didn't we talk about kevin so tilda swinton is probably one of my favorite working actors and I think that this might just be her best performance it's in anything. It's a great Like, this is just, if you've seen her in anything and you're like, damn, Tilda Swinton is like just out here fucking acting, capital A acting, then just see this movie. She's doing so much in this film, but in the best possible way. Also, Ezra Miller, like... What a performance. I just man. haven't seen Ezra Miller enough great stuff. I love him, Perks Being a Wallflower, which is a film that, like, I stand by is just an incredible, it's one of the best coming-of-age movies of the last 10 years. I know know there's there's um, been a lot of allegations about him that i'm not super familiar about about him doing like really shit things yeah oh, really oh i didn't know yeah that. But he's he, just annoying as fuck he plays a psychopath so well yeah he is so fucking it's good in this he, it, like he, he looks like a fucking psychopath. that's what's kind of funny like i saw this movie and i was like really they picked this guy to be like a superhero to be the flash like this guy's like a sexy young hot thing now it's like this guy is terrifying yeah i i think this movie like i i was so wowed by it because it's not a movie for everybody just like you were never really here which i love but that's a movie that's like super weird this one i feel like is in that same vein of like it is for a very particular audience but to me 
it just really resonated with me because I I put it on like kind of late at night, you know, in that mode mm. where you're just kind of laying in yeah. bed and you just kind of want to like wind down. And I was like, ah, you know, I'll just put something on to kind of like, you know, kind of fall asleep to or something. I don't want to uh, put something on that I'm going to like regret falling asleep to or something. This movie like sucked me the fuck in. <laughs> it like wired me up and wouldn't let me go until it was over. So overall, like very successful to you. Yeah. 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 There are things about it that I wouldn't say are for everybody. Like there, it, it does get like kind of gory. Um, and also just, again, the way it tells its story. Yeah, it's how very it, uh, like not linear. Exactly. Not linear. It jumps around in time a lot. And it just like it is kind of frustrating just how much information it withdraws from you and you don't feel like you understand exactly what's happening but by the end i felt like there was enough satisfaction in what i got like what it does give you in its final few minutes i was pretty satisfied with and i felt like you know it doesn't like have this moment of like extreme explanation exposition but it does give you enough to feel like you can put the pieces together I uh I like this movie a good bit more than you were never really here. Uh, just you were never really here is a film that I still really enjoyed a lot. But that's a movie where like, and I don't even mean this necessarily as a full on knock, but like the fingerprints of Taxi Driver are just all over you were never really yeah, here. This, down to this, the final shot yeah. that you get in. This is a bit more original. It is. It's yeah. very original. It's really like one of the most original things I've ever seen. Like it just is a film that completely sucks you in and just like holds you tight and there isn't really a big release in this like at least not a very like satisfying release in this movie you're just kind of stuck in this tone in this world i i love 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 this movie i think that it's on what did you watch it on was that on prime or it's i know on it's on cri- the criterion it's on channel. criterion but i think they're gonna take it off at the end of march but it, it's one of those that you'll find. It'll pop around it was on yeah. netflix for a while too yeah yeah um real quick i just saw my notes of what i watched i just want to give a shout out to um a movie called i'm not there also from 2007 just 2007 like the fucking best fucking movie year, year ever um this is a movie that uh tells the story of Bob Dylan. Um, it's a Bob Dylan biopic, but they never say the words Bob Dylan in the movie because none of the characters actually are Bob Dylan. And it's Bob Dylan through this like prism of seven, six or seven different people played by all of this, these different actors, including Heath Ledger, Kate Blanchett, Mm -hmm. uh, Ben Wishaw, um, Christian Bale, Richard Gere, Marcus Clark, uh, Carl oh, Franklin. Yeah, you were telling it. This is really fascinating. Wild movie. I feel like it didn't click for me that much because of how split the narrative is, because you have all of these different storylines and you end up with. I, I don't know if this is the best comparison for it, but it almost is like kind of cloud Atlas esque. Where you just have like these completely isolated yeah. uh, storylines that don't quite mesh together as well. I like this quite a deal more than Cloud Atlas because you're not having to deal with all of that. Boy! <laughs> but in terms of like telling the story of Bob Dylan and like capturing 
what he was trying to say through his music and his persona and like who he might have been as an actual person, you kind of get a really unique take that he um, embodies through all of these different people. Um, Again, I didn't quite get a lot out of all of them equally, but overall, I really like the movie just because of how weird and kind of a uh, original take it is on sort of the biopic movie. Yeah, that's it's just a, an insanely cool concept. Kate mm-hmm. Blanchett as Bob Dylan, as like electric guitar era Bob oh, Dylan, the most hated Ooh. Bob Dylan dude. She was nominated for an Oscar. She didn't win, but this is like one of the best performances I've ever seen in my life. Wow! And it's surrounded by a movie that like doesn't quite click all the way for me. But goddamn, she's so good. She's so fucking good. Like, watch this movie just for her performance. And there's other good things in here, too. Like, I love Heath Ledger in here. I miss him mm-hmm. so much. I wish we had him still around. Um, and, you know, there's other good little bits and pieces here um, that kind of flesh out this, like, vibe and this, like, Bob Dylan world that they're trying to create. Um, with all of these different approaches. Christian Bale is in here as like a version of Dylan that goes Christian music, which I, I don't even know what that's about. But Bob um, Dylan, it's it's the perfect guy to do it about because Bob Dylan has been like seven different yeah. guys and probably a girl. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like he's he's had so many periods. I, I, I'm curious to check this out. I've always wanted to dive more into Todd Haynes uh, filmography because he's a really fascinating filmmaker. Like he uh, I just saw um, Dark Waters that came out a I couple of years ago, um, which is a film that I really like a lot. But he also he did like a very, very mixed reaction uh, remake uh, TV miniseries for the uh, 1940s movie Mildred Pierce. Um, that like some people loved and other people fucking hated back in like 20, 2011. Um, and then also he made Carol a few years ago, which Want is a film that, that I've always wanted to see. Yeah. I've heard that that Kate Blanchett performance is unbelievable in that movie. So I, I love this movie. I, I think that, you know, there, there's a lot of aspects about it that don't work, but I think overall it is a recommend just because of that Kate Blanchett performance. And again, just the way it approaches it, because you end up with a lot of different styles of filmmaking mm-hmm. in here. You know, there, there's like there's like a music documentary yeah. in there. There's like a, a traditional drama. There's like a weird art film in there. There's like a, a it's, historical. It's epic. sort of like uh, movie 43. <laughs> yes. If you yeah. think about it. Yeah. The testicles are his chin. Mm. Mm. Um, the testicles are his chin. His <laughs> chin is his testicle. David Cross plays um, Allen Ginsberg. <laughs> and That's at that awesome. point, when that happened, I was like, oh, I, I get what this movie's trying to do. Okay. Yeah. Um, so check it out. It's called I'm Not There. Um, that's what I've been watching. Um, we've been potting uh, for a long time, so I'm just going to stick to the big hits. Um, have you guys watched uh, Oprah's interview with no. Megan and Harry? I saw the memes. Um, pretty wild shit there. Uh, Megan was told that her kid might be too black uh, to be protected by the Secret Service. Nah, man, fuck that shit. We aren't talking about that. Although it is a fascinating interview. I do actually recommend it. Uh, just go ahead and uh, download the 
Download download some good old some good old CBS All Access. Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. Is this is this what you meant by sticking to the hits? Yes. Um, (laughs) I I actually do. I do think like Oprah is just an unbelievable interviewer. Like we will never have another interviewer who is yeah she's the somehow able to be as genuinely interested in literally anything. She has command over the room, but she's not the center of attention. Yeah, um, she's perfect. Nah, man, we're talking about we're we're talking about real, real filmmaking quality here, in a form that can only be expressed through animation. We're talking anime, baby. I'm gonna talk about how I rediscovered my love for anime uh, with the TV show Attack on Titan, uh, which. I know Attack on Titan is now becoming like one of the most popular animes ever. Like the way that it has broken through in Western culture is kind of insane, especially like as the show continues to go on. It's like, really? People are loving the show. I get there's great action pieces, but there's some just wild shit that happens in the story. Um, I don't want to talk too much about this show, but like it's becoming one of my favorite animes ever made. Um, it's still like not quite on the Evangelion level. Evan Neon Genesis Evangelion. I've talked about it on the show before. It's my favorite anime ever. It's also probably just like on my Mount Rushmore favorite TV shows ever. Uh, without a doubt. I think it's perfect in every way. But Attack on Titan, the way that this show has evolved over the course of four seasons is just unbelievable. Um, I think that even if you aren't a big anime fan. I think that this is actually like works as a pretty good entry point into the genre and into the, the filmmaking style because it is, it does kind of slowly dip you into the full craziness. Like you aren't just dropped right in. It's like, Ooh, and there's these robots and all this kind of crazy stuff. It kind of, um, has become for me, I was talking about this with uh, friends of the pod, anime friends of the pod, Nathan and David off mic, that the last season, season four, which is uh, the season that's currently streaming right now, um, that's airing week to week as it's being aired in Japan. It's is, done now though, right? So, well. Kind of. It's right now uh, it is on, well, a new episode was supposed to come out last Sunday, but it got delayed for a week because of the earthquakes in Japan. Um, So they're doing two episodes this week, but they are right now planning 16 episodes. Uh, I'm on episode 13 and they are not going to have the story finished up as is. So they haven't announced they're going to release like a part two to the season or if they're going to release a feature film. I would prefer uh, just a part two because they can go a little bit more in depth on everything. But what this show is becoming is what Game of Thrones fucking wished that it could be. Um, like because it is becoming a show that was just about like mindless monsters and flying around killing them which is still has tons of entertainment value uh, because of some good writing some good anime writing and um, really creative action set pieces has now become like this whole socio-political drama and it has kind of pushed this show to another tier in my estimation um and i don't want to say too much about the show i i know i 
like I watched season one back whenever it first came out in like 2013, 2014. And then I kind of just fell off because there was four years in between seasons. That's insane. Like they just the they kind of hopped around studios in Japan. They haven't really been able to stick with anything. And the uh, um, the creator of the show, uh, Yasuka Kobayashi, like kind of it's a thing that's come in anime where he just like writes part of the show and is just like, ah, I'll write more whenever I get to it. Because it's not like uh, it's not like in America where it's like you're tied to a three season contract and you have like deadlines that you have to reach have for that. Freedom. They're just like, yeah, you have more freedom. And it's just like, take your time with this and make this perfect and then bring this back to us. Um, so the manga run has been finished. And so people know the story of how the show is going to end. But just the journey that's going on, it's kind of giving me Again, I don't want to spoil too much, but of like it, it this closest show for like big themes that it's really tapping into for me, hitting a certain uh, pulse is Breaking Bad, which is something that I just never really thought that the show could go in that direction. Um, also, you can just tell the budget of the show is just getting higher and higher. Uh, season three, there's like a multi episode fight that happens that is just like some of the most breathtaking action sequence that I have ever seen in my life, American or Japanese, like just animated live action. It doesn't matter. Like it is just, it's how you, it is like action writing one Oh one where it is giving characters a chance to have character growth within an action set piece. Wow. And that's like kind of sh- it's stuff that like fucking Marvel and Star Wars wishes that they could do with their set pieces, but they're completely and so we have just Arya just like sneaking up and killing the Night King from behind. And you're like, oh, "What? Okay." Um and that's that. That's it. Um no, this show is like it's it's so fucking good. I cannot recommend it enough to ever to anybody. Um, it is on Hulu. Like I said, even if you aren't the biggest like anime person, if you've never really given anime much of a try, I do think Attack on Titan. The fact that it does that it is grabbing all of these people uh, and becoming one of the most popular animes ever, if it hasn't already become that is a testament to how mass appeal it can be and also to the quality of the show itself. Um, the only thing I warn you is because I binged through a lot of it. Uh, season two is not great of this show in my personal estimation because they do a lot of heavy lifting, but it's also easily the shortest season. So just you get through that. It's like an all in one day or all in like 48 hours kind of span thing for and you then from there. <laughs> yeah. Just for me. Um, oh, they're, they're half hour eps though. Yeah. Like, they're half hour eps, yeah. which really come down. They're like 22 minute eps, 20 to 22 right. minute episodes. It's so good. The music fucking kicks ass in this show. The I really love the way that some of the characters uh, arcs are being built out and filled out. Um, it's I I love this show. I whole wholeheartedly love this show. I got it. I got to get back into it. I watched the first. You catch back. I mean, honestly, like you could still because I think that I mean, there's definitely going to be some kind of a break before we get the end, whatever form that comes in. So you could catch up and then. It's all on Hulu right now. Yeah, it's um, all on Hulu and they've just been releasing an episode a week. And that's Attack on Titan. Also on Funimation. If you it's also on Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll, you can actually watch it live as it premieres. There you go. But yeah. 
Well, that about does it for this week, boys. Thanks for listening, all you listeners. Thanks for donating, all you donors. Please follow at We Bought a Mic on on uh, Twitter, email at We Bought a Mic at gmail.com. Uh, recommend the show, rate, review, subscribe, all that good shit. Uh, let us know what you thought of everything that we talked about and get ready for Vampire's Kiss. Back to our Nick Cage bullshit next week. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.